It's Thursday, September 7th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Hey, yo. We're actually taping this earlier in the week because on Thursday, the 7th, I will be up in New York City for the podcast upfronts. So if I say today, then like I can't really screw it up because you've already basically given this forewarning that today isn't actually Thursday. Right. Today the- is. Monday. We're publishing this on Thursday. But it's published on Thursday. Exactly. Thank and we're, you. we're going to continue with Mistakes Were Made Week. But a um, couple of news items from the broad world of media that we wanted to get to first. And uh, we'll start with our good friends at Trunk. Yes, you said that correctly. <laughs> Trunk. Trunk. The worst publicly named company. Uh, Trunk has bought the New York Daily News from Mort Zuckerman. And I'm of two minds of this. <laughs> really? Because I'm of one. <laughs> okay. Well, so well, let's get to yours first because they bought the New York Daily News essentially for a dollar. I think they just assumed the debt, which is reported to be around thirty million dollars, and that's that really shouldn't be a surprise to anyone because this the, these stories have popped up over the past few years that Zuckerman might sell the New York Daily News, and that really anyone buying it is just buying the debt. So, you think they're just taking $30 million and setting it on fire? Um, well, no, I don't know that I'd, I mean, I wouldn't say they're setting it on fire. I mean, I think this is just sort of a, another sort of step in this consolidation that we're seeing in this space. I mean, I think for the longest time, um, newspapers were a relatively attractive market given their. Uh, their their reach, given the fact that they were relatively unique and they were the best and oftentimes the only way to get information, uh, particularly on the local level, um, and we saw you know those at the national scale really held a valuable uh, position in the space as well. Now, as we talk about all of the time, I mean the internet has completely changed everything, and and the the the. Access to information that we have now, now today is is basically unencumbered, and in, in, in most cases, it's free. So, if you're a newspaper, you're looking at this and thinking, "Well, man, this sucks because our business was built on charging people for information, and now we can't do that." Um, and so, you know, I mean, to see to see Zuckerman unloading this thing for essentially nothing. I mean, he's basically just saying, "Look, please take this anchor from an, um, around my neck." I mean, this is a case where less is actually more. I mean, he there could be sort of any which way you want to look at it as far as the price tag, but I think that generally speaking, he'd be able to ask for a more um, you know considerable sum if there was some real value or some sort of real uh, light at the end of the tunnel. There, there, there isn't. More or less, this is a local tabloid style newspaper it's not necessarily known for its reputation of super insight and, and information that you can't do without um, and so, yet this and, deal does give trunk a toehold in the three biggest media markets in the country they've got the Chicago Tribune the LA Times now they've got New York City yeah and I think that's that's the part that is is probably the most attractive here is that because of the change in the space, we're seeing a lot of the 
uh, smaller players sort of being weeded out, and we see this consolidation. And so, Tronk, as much as we may like to make fun of the name, actually and has... We do. And we do. I mean, yeah, we do. Uh, I mean, it does actually have a pretty compelling um, value proposition there, in that it holds those major markets. Now, a lot of a lot of its future depends on uh, the quality of the writers, the quality of the information, and sort of the direction they take these media uh, properties. But but it's it's essentially the consolidation of all of this into one or two or three bigger players in the space. If you're going to have any kind of a hold in this market, you want it to be probably at the national scale. I know that Warren Buffett, for the longest time, was buying up sort of those small local papers, saying, well, that was really the best way for people to get that local information, that information at the local level. And then that may be the case today to a certain extent, but I don't think it's a very compelling case. Um, and so, you know, consequently, you see a lot of these local operations are having a really tough time getting along. And it's just in this space, if you're a journalist, and you're looking to go make a name for yourself. It's just not the same as it was before. I mean, we essentially have this world full of journalists now. I mean, you have Twitter, you have Periscope, and Facebook Live, and all of these ways to disseminate all of this information. Everybody's a journalist at this point, and and now with this battle between fake news and real news, and it's almost like people are just choosing what they want to believe, regardless of the veracity of the information out there. So it's a it's a difficult spot for for any of these smaller properties to be in. It it can work for them as long as they get very smart very quickly about right. how they serve up ads, uh, because there are plenty of businesses that would love exposure to those three. The three largest media markets in the United States. And speaking of ad platforms, that takes us to Verizon, which this week launched Verizon Up, a rewards program that provides credit to subscribers uh, that subscribers can use for things like phone upgrades, concert tickets, movie premieres. There's a catch, though. You have to give up, (laughs) there always is, you have to give up access to. Uh, some personal information, location data, app usage, your web browsing history. Bully for Verizon if they can make this work, but I think that even for a lot of people who are comfortable with less privacy per person today than we had 10 and 20 years ago, this really (laughs) seems like you better get some great rewards if you're giving up all of that, because all of that is so that Verizon can target you with ads even better than they're doing right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people go into any sort of online property hoping that you will serve me the most relevant ad out there. I mean, it's it's more or less like, how do I get through my my internet surfing without gaining any exposure to ads whatsoever? And I think a lot of people probably assume uh, at this point in in that. You're giving up an awful lot of of your information, uh, regardless of where you go. I mean, if you're a Facebook user, I mean, you have to know that all of your information is basically out there for anybody to access. I mean, that's what these guys do, and it's not just Facebook. I mean, it's all of them. It's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's LinkedIn, it's Snapchat, it's all of these all of these internet media properties that are that are taking that information, trying to lob up. Uh, more relevant ads, and that's fine. I mean, but but still, at the end of the day, you're assuming maybe that people want those ads, and I think in most cases, people would rather have an ad-free experience if possible. I mean, I 
I don't think it's uh, extremely common behavior for for people to go around the internet looking for the most relevant ads and then and then clicking on those ads and and then buying stuff or subscribing to stuff. So I mean, it's, it's I mean for Verizon, it just it seems to be way out of left field in that it's not it isn't like their circle of expertise, right? This isn't their circle of competence. Where you see companies like Google and Facebook and Twitter and Snap, and these are all these tech companies that are investing in that ad technology, trying to figure out how best to monetize that. I mean, I'm still sort of at a loss as to what rewards Verizon thinks they can they can offer me that I can't get elsewhere. Give me a lower right? phone I mean, bill. Yeah, exactly. Like, give me a lower phone bill. Quit throttling my my bandwidth at home. Like, I know you're doing it. I cut the cord, and yet every once in a while, it seems like you're throttling my my uh, my internet speed there. So, I mean, if that's like, I don't know. It just seems to me like when it comes to rewards, there are ample ample alternatives out there in, in getting sort of rewards, whether it's a credit card or uh, you know being a member, uh, a prime subscriber, for example. I mean, I, this just isn't what really Verizon is known for, and and it's not like they're really. It, it's hard to take it as genuine in in that they really want to do this so they can serve you better, more relevant ads to make your life better. I mean, I just I. I I think that's really a high hurdle to clear. So, I mean, good luck. I I I I don't know what else you want me to say. I don't think it's really going to work out that well, given that you've got Facebook and Google already out there really ruling this space, and it's not even close. Um, but yeah, it, it just it, it was a bit of a. I don't know. I just I, I saw it sort of as glass glass half full right when I read it. I'm just thinking, nope. I don't see this working out for you. Well, one thought I had when I saw the story was it took me back to I guess it was a year ago or maybe a little over a year ago when Verizon bought AOL yeah. for I'm going to say four billion, four and a half billion, something like that. And the questions at the time were like, well, you know, gosh, it's why are they spending that amount of money? And the answer was ads. Because AOL, for whatever else you may think of AOL, they are, um, they are, they were seen as being particularly good at serving ads and targeting and all that sort of thing. And so one of my thoughts when I saw this story was, oh, that's what the AOL slash Verizon ad gnomes have been working on for the past year. Is you know presumably they've been working on this, and if it works, great. But when you look at at least as we are taping this, you look at shares of Verizon being down a little bit, and this is really the only big news about Verizon as we tape this. Then I think the the skepticism that you and I have is um, well, let's just say we're not alone. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean that's they they also recently acquired Yahoo, which I, I mean that's I, I mean Yahoo is sort of it seems like it's sort of following AOL's footsteps. You know, it's becoming less and less relevant by the day, and and um, just around the office here, it just you just don't see people using Yahoo as much as perhaps they once did. Now. Probably some of that has to do with all of these data breaches and the fact that they gave up like five billion email addresses. But still, I mean, if we're looking forward, it doesn't seem like this is really something that that is uh, one of Verizon's strengths. And and when you look at the the way the ad market is shaping up, you know, a lot of these big clients out there. If we look at all of these big companies, Procter and Gamble, Coca Cola, companies like that, they're really starting to demand more. Uh, transparency, more uh, more ability to to measure uh, not only uh, how many people are seeing ads, but how relevant those ads are. Getting more more realistic sort of returns on investment when it comes to those ads. These companies are are demanding that from 
their ad partners. So Facebook and Google, uh, for example, as the leaders in the space, are really digging in to figure out better ways to measure their advertising products so that they can keep those big those big dollar clients on. Because I mean, at this point now, those those big dollar clients are demanding more, and they're basically threatening pulling their 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 spending if if they don't get that. And so you know, they're the ones really that hold sort of the. Uh, Hold sort of the upper hand in that relationship right now because they're the ones that have the money that want to spend the money. So Verizon basically has to get in there and figure out a way to do something not on par with Facebook and Google. They have to figure out actually how to do something better than Facebook and Google. And again, I mean, it's not to say they can't, just color me skeptical. Let's move on to some mistakes that we made as investors. And uh, I'm going to let you go first. We all make them. Right? We all make them. And I think that's why this uh, the theme week that Industry Focus did in August. I think it's why it was got such a, a great reception from listeners as it did because it's a nice reminder. We all make mistakes, and uh, when you don't get what you want, you get experience. So hopefully, when you make mistakes, you learn from your experience. Yeah, and I think that's 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 something that is so valuable. It's so liberating to be able to say I was wrong. You know, I made a mistake. If if you can't say that, then then you know you you don't really have any business investing because investing is not about getting everything right. It's about coming up with good ideas, getting all of the information you can, and making the best decision at that time based on the information that you have. It doesn't mean you'll always be right, and certainly things change, um, and and so you know, mistakes will be made. And and the more that you can recognize that, you will learn from them and become a better investor in the process. And so, one one for me that stands out um, here recently, and, and this is because we owned it million dollar portfolio for a spell, and we just sold it recently was TripAdvisor. Um, and it's a company that has a pretty uh, wide reaching uh, recommendation. Uh, Reach here in 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 at the Motley Fool. I mean, there are a number of services that have recommended it, and for a long time, it really struck us as a a great opportunity with a company that has a tremendous platform uh, for travelers and and a lot of information, which is what travelers want. And so, when we looked at it from the market opportunity perspective, it was very attractive because of this move towards online travel, um, and and. You know, one of the risks we saw going in there was that they make so much of their money through partnering up with Priceline and Expedia. Expedia and Priceline spend a lot of money on TripAdvisor to advertise their hotel inventory and whatnot. Um, we saw that as yes, a risk, but also a, a an opportunity as well because those are two very big companies and leaders in the space as well. And so, when we bought into TripAdvisor, and when I, you know, when I personally bought into TripAdvisor. Um, the thinking was they are taking a business that historically is monetized via advertising from those partners in Priceline and Expedia. They were changing that platform a little bit to this instant booking uh, idea where they could own more of the transaction and people would go not only find a good hotel on TripAdvisor, but then make that reservation on TripAdvisor. And so for about a year, year and a half, they were rolling this product out. They had warned us that you know, revenue would come to revenue growth would come to a standstill, but that was all by design, and that once they got this thing rolled out, they would be able to then reaccelerate that growth. And and I think that uh, that proved to be a bad bet on management's part. And and we, you know, we we looked at that in million dollar portfolio, and we thought, okay, they're 
And there are more reasons to be skeptical today than perhaps before many the investment was, I think, about 35-40% down at that point. And, and when we looked at TripAdvisor, when I personally looked at it, I, I, I started sort of kicking around some ideas as to why this didn't really work out. And I came up with at least four that I that I had talked with the team about. And, and perhaps, so one of them, perhaps the asset is not as valuable as we initially thought. Part of our argument was that they had this tremendous network of information. And it is unique information. But but maybe it's not as valuable as we actually thought. It's it's information, and as we were saying today, you can get information pretty much wherever you want, and it did, typically doesn't cost you a lot, if anything, to get it. Um, and so that sort of led into my second point: as time goes on, information just becomes easier to access, and and it seemed like that TripAdvisor might be having some challenges monetizing that information that they have. Uh, it's worth noting that TripAdvisor is a much smaller company compared to Priceline and Expedia, and so. A lot of times, it just makes sense to really put your money on on the odds-on favorite, right? I mean, there's a reason why the big dogs are big dogs. They've been doing a lot of things right, uh, and then that led me into to the final point. There is this move to instant booking. It was a neat idea on paper, but the reality of it is very difficult to change consumer behavior. It's not impossible, but it is very very difficult to do that. You can write down the reasons why it makes sense to you. But you have to then look at that as sort of a on a on a grander scale, and and when you're trying to teach people to do something different, show them why they should do something different. Why should I go book a hotel on TripAdvisor? I can book it on Priceline already. All I want is a, is a good price, and TripAdvisor is trying to basically give you that same thing. But if I'm already used to doing it one place, and they've got my information, and it's a satisfactory experience, it becomes more and more difficult, really, to do that. So, I don't know. I mean, to me, there were a lot of reasons why the TripAdvisor investment didn't work out for us, and we sold it in million-dollar portfolio for a little bit of a loss. But we figured we would rather sell that little position for a loss than double down on something that really hadn't proven to us that it had turned a corner yet. Now I will I will offer a caveat here. In million dollar portfolio, we run a fixed money portfolio. We do not add additional money to it. So whenever we want to buy something, we have to sell something. Um, personally, I still own my shares of TripAdvisor, and the reason why I own them is because I don't have to sell them. It is a valuable property. There probably is is something out there for them, whether they get acquired or whether they just reaccelerate that that growth engine. To me, I don't have to sell the shares because I don't have to sell them. And so for me, I'm going to hang on to them. And it seems like, in my experience at least, more often than not, selling is not the wisest course of action, even if an investment thesis is broken in the near term. Because if it's a good business with smart leadership, they can typically figure out new ways to create value and sort of turn that ship around. It's not like TripAdvisor is a bad business. It's it's a good business that made a bad bet. And so, uh, that's sort of the difference between the way we viewed it in Million Dollar Portfolio versus the way I view it now. No, the investment has not worked out like I thought it would. But I'm not selling my shares because I don't have to. Do you think uh, when you when you think through those different reasons, one of the ones that stands out to me just listening to you is their move to instant booking. As you said, it's a bad bet. If you could go back in time, I'm just trying to think of like what could you do differently next time, whether it's TripAdvisor or any other business. Is it looking at a new direction from management? And saying to yourself as an investor, okay, this is great if it works out, but I'm going to give this one initiative a shorter leash than I am giving the entire business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great way to look at it. I think you have to look at any business that that is going to pivot and, and make really what is a fundamental change to the business model. 
I think you have to look at that with skepticism, no matter the company, no matter the leadership. I think the burden of proof is on them to show you that they can do it. And I wouldn't just assume because you think it's a good leadership team and you think because they've been successful to this point that that means this pivot should work out. I think, for me, I'm going to look at those situations with much more, uh, I don't want to say skepticism, but I'm just going to look more closely at them to try to better understand what do I think the chances of that working out. And if it doesn't work out, is this still a business you want to own? And I do think in TripAdvisor's case, I did look at it from the perspective of, of is, if this doesn't work out, is this a business I'd still like to own? And, I, and my answer was yes, but it still then comes down to price. And I would not have you know recommended buying shares of TripAdvisor at seventy dollars, uh, for example, if we knew that instant booking wasn't going to work out, right? I mean, then we could have said, well, give it some time, and maybe you'll be able to swoop in there and pick up some shares on the cheap. But yeah, either way, I think I'm going to be far more discriminating uh, in looking at those in the future. I'm glad you mentioned price because that leads very nicely into my mistake, and that is waiting for the right price ah. for a stock. And this is, um, this is, I, on the one hand, I want to say, well, this is not an expensive lesson for me, and I'll explain why in a moment. Um, but from another way of looking at it, this may in fact be an incredibly expensive lesson for me. <laughs> but it was essentially about a decade ago or so, Starbucks is my biggest holding. And I had bought it on two separate occasions. And I was contemplating buying it a third occasion because it was trading somewhere in the 30s and it was dropping down into the 20s. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is really getting interesting here. And I may have to take a third bite of the apple. And for whatever reason, whatever stupid reason, I got it in my head if this thing hits 20, I'm going to buy it again. <laughs> And it fell below 21. So technically it was like $20.75 or whatever. And then an even stupider thought entered my head, which was if it gets below 20, if it gets, <laughs> if it gets to the teens. And, uh, and it did. It got to 19. And then I got even greedier. And I thought, all right, I'm going to wait till it hits. It starts oh, with an 18. So you kept changing. I just your, kept changing. I kept moving the goalpost yeah. in the opposite direction. And I was like, well, if it gets to 18. And I think it maybe bottomed out somewhere around like I don't know 1950 or something like that, and it started going up and it never stopped. You got a little greedy. I got greedy. You well, and it too was close to the sun, Chris Hill. <laughs> it was it was that <laughs> it was that idea of the perfect price. Yeah. For whatever reason, I had it in my head. No, this is the right price to buy it. This I, and I kept changing what was the to me a perfect price, and. My God! If I had just <laughs> bought it at twenty whatever, twenty and twenty three, if I yeah. bought it at twenty three, there, there's no way I'd be looking back in time now and saying, eh, "I should have waited till that thing <laughs> dropped to nineteen fifty. So don't so, don't fall in love with the price. No, don't. A couple of things there. You know, one a very valuable lesson my father taught me as a kid when he first introduced me to investing was, "You will never buy at the bottom nor sell at the top." And and that was just his way of saying, look, don't do what you just did. <laughs> you, you know, whether it's nineteen or eighteen, okay, let's not quibble too much. And you're going to sell something, and you're going to see that price continue to go up, and you got to be able to deal with that. Um, but that sort of the corollary to that is also the longer that you can stretch your timeline out, the less meaningful that really is. So. If you know that Starbucks is like a great business that you want to own for the next decade and beyond, then for you, 
$20 versus $18 is virtually meaningless. And I think that's a very good lesson for all investors to recognize is that really the way we focus on investing here with that business focus with long-term sort of uh, timelines there, that really, yeah, quibbling over price can be it can be a little bit frustrating and it can come back to bite you after a while. But um, yeah, we've all done it. The NFL season kicks off tonight, Kansas City at New England, and this weekend on Motley Fool Money, our guest is going to be Andrew Brandt, who we've had on the show before. Uh, you may know him from Sports Illustrated and ESPN. Uh, few people are as well-versed in the business of the NFL as Andrew Brandt, so uh, check that out this weekend. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.